This podcast is brought to you by Maddox Lawyers, the lawyers to call when you need practical solutions to complex problems. Welcome to PX43. I'm Jess Noonan, and as always, I'm joined by Peter Jewell. Today, we're very excited to speak with Damien Isles from Hanson Partnership. Damien is a Director of Planning at Hanson and has 19 years experience across both local government and the private sector. Today, we're talking to Damien about his background, but also a project that has gained a lot of industry interest in recent years, and which was a unique partnership with Launch Housing, Vic Roads, City of Maribyrnong, and a private philanthropist. Whilst I've heard quite a lot about this project over the years, Damien presented the unique details of this project at the recent PIA Victorian Symposium, together with Kate Stapleton from Vic Roads and Stephen Leonarchus from City of Maribyrnong, although there were many other people involved who I'm sure Damien will also speak about today. The project also two weeks ago won an award from the Victorian Division of the Planning Institute of Australia in the category of Best Planning Idea for the Small Project Award. Welcome to the show, Damien. Thanks, Jess and Pete. Damien, how did you get into planning initially? Okay, I've thought a little bit about this. Um, I think you could say I got into planning through the back door. It wasn't my (laughs) first preference. Um, And it wasn't something, I suppose, in secondary education that really was on my radar. Um, I was probably a good student with a maths science focus and didn't really know what direction I was taking as I was going through year 11 and 12. Um, I always had a creative interest and there was a fleeting moment where I thought architecture might have been a pathway. that was extinguished pretty quickly as I got lost on route to the interview at RMIT. So my preferences changed pretty quickly and engineering became um, top of my priority. Um, I got into a municipal engineering degree at VU in, I think it was 92, um, and realised pretty quickly that bending moments and um, engineering formula really wasn't um, in my future. So I quickly looked at alternatives and VU was able to offer um, an urban studies and planning alternative. Um, So that had me transferring um, at Footscray across to urban studies and ultimately into planning. I'm laughing because um, we've had a few tech issues this morning and um, Damien and Peter are actually sharing a microphone, sitting very, very close together, which is quite, quite funny to watch, but anyway... Moving on. (laughs) So, Damien, the Ballarat Road Project was a a very unique partnership between the philanthropist, Vic Roads, Maribyrnong and Launch Housing. How did this all come about? Okay. Uh, Jess, it's... Look, it started well before my involvement. Um, I've said that it's a really interesting story. Uh, It's a pilot project uh, that saw the delivery of 57 architecturally designed transportable homes on nine sites owned by Vic Roads in Maidstone and Footscray. Uh, All the properties uh, were vacant. Um, They're all zoned in the general residential zone, so supportable for housing. And they're restricted by controls that allow for the widening of Ballarat Road. So there were a number of key partners in the project. And credit must go firstly to Vic Roads. Uh, for having the courage and commitment to innovate their strategic thinking. There was a guy, Mark Rowland, who was at Vic Roads at the time that since moved to Arab, and really he um, was the creative source behind the concept. Sophie Dyering is the architect in this case at Scored Projects. Now, Sophie had designed a solution uh, as part of a design competition in 2012 
that looked to provide accommodation to deal with homelessness in urban areas. And Sophie was shortlisted as part of that process and set about looking for partners to implement um, her design. And that's where Launch Housing picked that up. So it goes back a number of years, this concept, and whilst the applications were made um, in, in 2016, there were a number of years spent proving up the, the opportunity. What year did you become involved? We got involved in 2016 really as almost a sub-consultant to SCORED projects, so through Sophie. Um, and our role was really to look at the delivery and implementation of this opportunity. So Damien, essentially it's a, a project to use vacant or, or land that's going to be used for roads uh, for people outside Victoria. Vic Roads is the road authority for freeways and main roads. So to use that land that's been designated and is vacant to house temporary units for, for homeless people. That's about it? Look, in a nutshell, it is. There were sites that were um, set aside to allow the duplication, if you like, of um, Ballarat Road. And this is a solution that provides temporary accommodation up to 20 years um, for those people experiencing or at risk of homelessness. And the residential units are transportable, so they can just be plonked down there, but they're high quality, I understand? Uh, they are. They're, um, they're a modular design. Um, they are high quality. They're still construction, double glazed, uh, six-star NAHA Nathurs rating, um, highly sustainable and importantly transportable. So the opportunity for these units to be relocated and placed on, um, on other sites is really a key aspect to um, the scalability of this project. So it works because the land is essentially free for the time being. That, that's one of the main components of it? Yes, it is. All, as I said, all the sites are vacant. So the opportunity is there. Um, many of the sites um, uh, had grass up to the waist, um, cyclone fencing. Um, so putting them to an interim use in this way really is a, a terrific opportunity. And so what was the role of um, the Department of Health and Human Services? Were they the lessee? They are. So yes. the, the, com well, the property arrangement is that uh, the Vic Roads own the land, that the Department of Health and, and Human Services lease the land on a peppercorn rent of $1 a year and sublease the land onto launch housing to manage the delivery and occupation of the units. Yeah, and so for those that don't know as well, launch housing is a um, affordable housing provider. Is that the best way? Community housing provider. provider. Yeah. Organisation. Yeah. Damien, it's one thing to put the hardware for homeless people together, like home hardware being housing. What about the what about the support services and the and to get people away from that situation? This is just a short term fix, isn't it? Oh, Pete, you say it's a short term fix. Um, look, the real benefit in this project is that launch housing um, provide not only the occupation opportunity for, for those residents, but also the support services. So they're not just a housing provider and relying on another organisation to look after the residents. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean short-term fix as in, but I see one of the benefits is getting people in the one spot in a permanent, well, a permanent position where they can receive services and then move on. Is that is that sort of the concept? Yeah, look, the concept is certainly to assist those who are experiencing homelessness to transition into permanent accommodation. Um, 
the one of the real benefits of the project is that there's uh, a level of dignity that the housing provides for those residents on site, uh, and that's not always offered in alternate um, housing um, elements. So in this case, the, the benefit of having an architect design the internal spaces is that they are livable, they are sustainable, they are comfortable, and they're dignified. So to have sleeping quarters, to have these dwellings as self-contained that allows cooking, bathing, um, and, and clothes washing, um, that is really an important step up from uh, other supported services like rooming houses where there's um, large areas of communal facilities um, and not in you know, the dignity that goes with having um, self-contained private accommodation isn't available. Mm. And so what was your experience with the local council, in this case, um, the City of Maribyrnong? How did they help facilitate this process? Oh, the City of Maribyrnong were terrific and we were, um, we were really strategic in the way that we engaged with Maribyrnong. We met with, um, with them early, so Steve Leonarchus, the manager, and Amy Mack, who at the time was a major projects planner that's since moved on to DHHS. Um, they both understood the importance of looking for a solution to homelessness. And when we sat down with them, it was critical that they supported and understood the need. So we weren't asking for any special consideration, but we wanted to be strategic in how we were going to de deliver 57 uh, relocatable housing units on nine sites and manage the likely fallout that was going to come through a third party um, uh, typical application process. Once we were public in um, putting the applications through a process, there was all sorts of stigmas, concerns, um, and in many instances irrelevant issues that were put forward as, as reasons not to proceed with any number of the sites. So there were enormous challenges put to the team at Maribyrnong. They managed to deliver um, a number of projects um, of the nine so that we achieved some momentum and that built confidence in the team. And then the councillors uh, at various times were really put in difficult positions given how hot the politics were, um, with really a small group, if you like, a, a vocal minority that um, were very emotionally charged. Did it go to VCAT in the end? It was headed to VCAT and we put a request to the, uh, to the minister to call the matter in, given the time delay and ultimately the cost um, that the project would, uh, would suffer if it did go through that process. Um, and the matter was called into a ministerial advisory panel. Um, and in that degree, we, um, we came in contact with Kate Stapleton, who at the time was at, uh, was at the department. And um, really the application was then fast-tracked through a, a process. Um, a panel report was prepared and, and put to the minister. So the normal third party right process was abandoned and this was um, undertaken by the state government, approved by the state government. That's about it? Well, the third party process wasn't abandoned as such. Um, we followed um, an application process where third parties were able to express um, their concerns. Those were put to council who determined uh, the applications in the usual way and the objectors were then given the opportunity to appeal, which they did. Um, now, we sought our um, exercised our right to, um, to contact the minister and ask that the matter be called in. 
Um, given the importance of the project, the delays and the costs, and we felt that the issues were really um, were quite isolated and in many respects not relevant to the approvals that we were seeking. One of the challenges with innovation I always find is that if it doesn't fit the box that the local council is expecting, it's quite difficult for them to get their heads around, you know, how they define it, how they describe it. In, in this case, did you need to really walk them through how this was all going to uh, be facilitated or were they fairly on board with what you were doing? Yeah, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think our approach was to work with them on the strategy. Yeah, so and how it, you define it and that's all right. of that. So what yeah. part of the issue was the land use classification. They are transportable, they are temporary, but they are dwellings. And we look at the planning system and the definitions that we have available to us currently. Um, and dependence person's unit was one um, possible uh, characterisation, but it has, has its limitations in that it must be on land with an existing dwelling and the residents must um, be dependent on the resident of the existing dwelling on the property. Damien, the process you went and described is very similar to the Better Housing program that was launched after the GFC in Victoria, where social housing had a special category of uh, application process, so that it followed essentially the same process you mentioned. Do you think for social housing there's a need, and not just social housing, but sort of, I'll call it vulnerable housing, or step-up housing, mm -hmm. do you think that there's a need for a sort of special category in the planning system to deal with that sort of housing, given the gravity of the problem? Look, there is, and we do have a number of um, housing types, um, community care units, crisis accommodation. Social and community housing is difficult to, it's difficult to, to define. Um, in many instances, the tenure of the residents um, is short term. Um, I've been talking to a number of people after um, the Harris, the, the launch housing project, the Harris Transportable Housing Project has, has really gathered more media attention. And fundamentally, the housing that we're looking to do, that's been designed and to be delivered is in the tiny house format. Now, there's enormous opportunity at in Victoria and, and certainly nationally and, and more broadly to deliver that housing as a short-term alternative. The difficulty is how we define it because if it's if it's not applied specifically for community or social housing use, how can it be manipulated? How can it be misused? And ultimately, is that going to deliver the intent that we are hoping the opportunity here to to have tiny housing or relocatable housing um, in existing areas provides. Really, Damien, it's just semantics, isn't it? These, the, the problems you identify are very minor. It's just a matter of putting the right um, framework in place so that it works. I, I wouldn't have thought this is hard at all. It's not It's hard. just political will, isn't it? Well, there's, there's a willingness, certainly at, um, at state government, and what we've seen with launch, uh, the Launch Housing Project is certainly at a local government level, there is a, a commitment to, um, to be part of the solution. Um, there is, I mean, some of the statistics um, in terms of homelessness, um, some nearly 25,000 people are experiencing homelessness per day in Victoria. So it's a, it is a real issue. Housing affordability uh, more broadly is a huge issue. Uh, the delivery of community um, housing and social housing isn't just the role of the state. Um, 
and whilst we have large areas of land that the state own and manage, we seem not to be able to deliver projects like this uh, on a large scale. So the great thing about the, this project is that it's a pilot project that can highlight the potential and opportunity working with organisations like Vic Roads or Vic Track or Melbourne Water or any other authority that is a landowner that uh, has long-term tenure, that leasing arrangements can be found with third parties to deliver community and social housing. It, it isn't difficult, but it is being made more difficult because there is no uh, definition or, or, or policy support currently um, in our planning schemes. Mm. Um, just going back to that point about community consultation, you work in this space quite a lot with a lot of um, innovative housing models and um, what did you call it before? Unique, unique housing models? Alternative housing models. Alternative housing models, that's the word. Um, I'm interested in your views on community consultation and whether or not they're whether or not you think there are better ways that we could be doing it to facilitate this kind of development uh, rather than just responding to the issues? Great question, Jess. Look, really, consultation, um, having thought about this a little bit, is best run proactively, not reactively. And in a planning process, if we're running consultation as part of an advertising process, it is reactive. Notices have gone out, signs are on site. There's already stigma and, a, and some preconceptions associated with a project. So um, proactive consultation allows um, a level of education um, and an ability for a team or an organisation or even a council uh, or government to, uh, to try and explain the objective, um, the ambitions of a project, the elements, take on questions, let that settle and then revisit um, a further process once an application's made. In this instance, with launch, we, the timing of the project was such that um, there were a range of protests in early 2017 um, on the steps of Flinders Street, and that gathered a lot of media um, really quickly. It was in the papers and on the TV. Um, and your application was in with Maribyrnong at the time? Our yeah. application had been lodged December, so mm. it wasn't long after lodgement that, that the I suppose the issues of social housing was magnified through media and that sent messages to the community, well, we're going to have um, issues of crime, drug use and um, I suppose the negative aspects of social housing on our doorstep and, and in our neighbourhood. So that was the fear that the community had that there'd be pedophiles and, um, and those that really didn't belong within our community um, given free accommodation. Um, and that drove a lot of fear, and that drove, um, when we went public, a lot of the concern to say, look, really, this project uh, shouldn't be piloted in, in Footscray, it belongs somewhere else. Um, and there was an education element, really, to, to talk through the differences between what the community was seeing in the papers and on the TV and what Launch Housing was trying to achieve um, with this project. Thank you to Song Bowden Planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website. Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. 
If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website. Damien, the cynic in me says that the idea was made and you just had to go through some sort of public consultation process, but the decision was really made to proceed with this. I mean, there is an element of scepticism about the whole community process, consultation process and a lot of these things. Sorry to be the bad guy, but, you know, I I think... You're always the bad guy. When people say they're going to educate the public, I'm always worried. I always get nervous when that's said because educate means sometimes... You you will see how you will see this how we see that. Am I being too harsh? Do you think? Yeah, you are being the cynic, um, which is fine. There's two sides to to every issue. Um, two people within every podcast. Correct. <laughs> two sides to a coin. So, <laughs> in the case of launch housing, look, it was true that there was certainly an aspiration to deliver 57 um, transportable homes on nine sites. Our role was to implement and deliver that ambition. Now, how we manage the community really is, uh, and and effective consultation is really important um, in understanding, well, what are the matters that the community may respond to, may need information on, and may need um, explanation of what's relevant and what's not relevant. So the stigma associated with who the residents are, well, what we were saying is, that's not part of the application. The use in this instance wasn't a matter before council. It wasn't a relevant consideration. And the energy that was going into that concern really was mis, um, misappropriated. So the focus really was on the permit triggers. It was on the development and it was on whether or not we had adequate parking. And so there was an education uh, element in terms of what level of parking was needed for um, the transportable homes in this case and how different this project was to a conventional unit development or townhouse development of a similar density. And we were talking um, three dwellings up to 10 dwellings on a site, and yet um, they were single story, um, transportable, architecturally designed, uh, in many instances no higher, um, the walls were no higher than the fencing on neighbouring properties, and yet the concerns were about who was living there. Now. Um, the residents can't choose their neighbours in a conventional scenario, and we felt that strongly that um, in this case that wasn't a relevant issue. Damien, it's a little bit different, but a sort of cousin to this prefab housing. There's a push to turn a lot of caravan parks into permanent accommodation for elderly people, and there's been a pushback by a lot of councils about that, that this is third-rate housing, uh, you, you, but for a lot of people, it's a cheap alternative to downs, a practical way of downsizing when people don't have a lot of money. Are you, are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yep. Any comments about that push to accommodate a, a completely different housing class of people? And should, we, should planning be a bit more liberal when looking at these things? It should. Um, it should. We... Alternative housing um, is certainly, as I mentioned, yes, an interest um, that's um, become a passion of mine. Um, I don't have a lot of experience in the elderly um, sector, aged care, but certainly the opportunity to um, 
to look at some form of innovation in the way that we use land, whether it be a caravan park, whether it be um, a university student housing campus that may have a temporary use for an organisation like Launch Housing. I know that um, uh, there are certain opportunities there for us to be more efficient with land. Um, we really, um, as an industry, need to be more open to the potential, um, whether they are short-term opportunities, whether they're leasing arrangements, um, there's an opportunity for us to facilitate um, a broader group of residents uh, looking at alternate housing opportunities in this case. So just closing out this topic, Damien, um, what did you learn from the process? Okay, Jess, there's, there's five things, five takeaways. Uh, the first is housing is a fundamental human right. Second, there is real value in good strategy. In this case, we focused on the low-hanging fruit. We, uh, we had nine applications. We managed to get three permits through before the community really detonated social media, and this became a really hot topic. Three, a collaborative approach was really the right way to go. Um, once public, we stood in front of an angry mob and attempted to answer as many questions as honestly and helpfully as possible. Uh, fourth, political support was ultimately critical. Uh, we put our faith in the planners and councillors at Maribyrnong and they stood tall. And lastly, uh, we could get the community on side, but only if we moved out of their backyards. Now, Damien, moving on to sort of bigger city questions, new technologies. Uh, the way we use them, like near maps and Google Earth and Street View and all the technologies, is, the, is, is that changing how we view cities? It, it is. Um, it's certainly um, allowing us greater access to content um, far quicker. Uh, allows us to provide uh, advice, certainly over a desktop, um, there's potential, maybe we get lazy as a result of that and don't, um, don't get out and experience cities in the way that we should. Um, but I think technological change is exciting. Uh, it should deliver efficiencies and opportunities and really importantly, innovation. Now, I'm going to be a bit, uh, put it out there here, Damien. I don't think driverless cars are going to come until the year 2050. I'm very sceptical now of new technologies in cities. I thought cities. you were very encouraging. No, I've, I've, Jess, I've You've changed. You've a complete backflip. I think it's a lot of hype. <laughs> I think a lot of that driverless car technology is just not going to work. He's just trying to be controversial. No, I'm Damien. not. I'm not. I've <laughs> thought about this, Jess. Now, Damien, do you, do you share my scepticism of new technologies in cities? No, I, I don't. Um, I, I'd probably be more inclined to build an arc because I think there is the need to... Um, to respond to what is, is certainly upon us. And a good example and an analogy often used is, um, I can recall going overseas in the mid 2000s, I think it was about 2006. The phone I took with me was a Nokia something, red, it, yep, something like that. I think everyone had one. Um, I got, I could make calls and send SMSs. Now I've got an iPhone that is my calendar, my, um, newspaper, my uh, GPS, um, music, my Walkman, it, it's everything. So certainly in a 10, 12 year period, we've seen a fundamental change in, uh, in tech having regard to mobiles. Vehicles, I think, will be just as, as um, 
uh, as quickly upon us. I couldn't live without Siri now, Damien. I, I know that. But <laughs> a, a lot of the physical changes to our cities are going to be a lot more difficult to achieve, I think, than... And we should be sceptical of those big technological companies that are selling this message. Maybe not. Well, scepticism is, is part of being a planner, I suppose. Um, what I can say is that uh, applications that we're making within inner metro councils are putting conditions on permits for uh, electric vehicle charging stations to consider how car parks can be retrofitted um, for uh, emerging technology. These are all moves, I think, moves in the right direction to enable the change when the tech is here. Agree that some of the the changes required to deliver the, deliver the safety for the automated vehicles in our roads. Well, maybe there's there's that's a question for Vic Roads and other authorities. But um, I think if we can look at embracing um, innovation and certainly more sustainability, um, that's that's the right way to go. I'm not being grumpy, Jess, but sustainability is probably one of the most abused words. And I'm getting tired of that, you know, sustainable innovation. I mean, please. Um, now, Damien, about new development, your firm does a lot of uh, broadacre things and um, it, it seems to me there's a sameness about a lot of the new outer areas. You know, anywhere town. Is historical setting no longer relevant? Historical setting and sameness. Look, um, what can we say about our suburbs? A lot of change in the post-war period. And certainly, from my perspective, um, given my, um, my time in planning, certainly from the 1990s onwards, there is an element of sameness about the suburbs. Um, what I'd say is, there, certainly as planners, we place a lot of importance on neighbourhood character. And that really has cut across the benefits of delivering innovation and somewhat enthusiasm for our city, the built environment. Uh, planning reforms, particularly recent residential uh, zoning reforms only make um, innovation and exceptional design a negative principle. Priorities given to conforming, um, it's presented as being more acceptable or more appropriate. These are the words that, and the terms that we use. Um, so innovation's hard, but that doesn't mean that it's not encouraged. Um, it's a challenge, it's one of the, I suppose it's one of the, uh, the opportunities as a planning consultant to, um, to to press the boundaries and try to innovate, um, to deliver alternatives um, and some better solutions. Thinking about your childhood, what aspects of, um, of cities do you think we've lost um, that you appreciated when you were young? Gur. <laughs> young Gur. Okay, I'm mid-40s, so I'm not well, as old as Pete. Well, Damien, you've, you've got a couple of kids, and so you must, you must think about how they see the cities that you live in and how you once looked on cities? I do have, yep. I've got a, a nearly nine-year-old and uh, an 11-year-old. So I think the thing that we've lost, um, a real and almost honourable sense of community. Um, we typically design housing and our local residential areas with greater focus on privacy than community. Um, many alternatives and models used throughout Europe and the US, and we're seeing these through um, examples with Nightingale um, and the Assemble communities, um, where we're looking to design housing so for the collective rather than the individual. Now, I grew up um, in regional Victoria, 
uh, actually grew up on a farm and we moved into the town uh, at Hamilton in the 1980s. And I can have fond memories of my grandparents' place having open post and wire fencing um, and the kids really playing through gardens and property without any restriction. There was a real and honest sense of community in my childhood and um, I currently live in a development in Brunswick that um, we were responsible for in Heller Street, which has delivered 10 townhouses and a park, which was a public-private partnership with the City of Moreland. And it functions in many ways, as my childhood did, where um, many of the families that live within the development have kids. And you can find the kids either out in the park or in other neighbours' houses. Um, with a level of safety, comfort and security that, um, that I think we're losing as we develop our city um, more. So there's real value, I think, in, um, in certainly embracing a, a sense of collective rather than um, individuality with, within our housing. And uh, a broader issue is, um, is certainly to um, deliver behavioural change. And so Nightingale and other examples, I think, are really starting to um, disrupt um, where, we're, where we've been heading with, with housing for decades. Building opportunities for Well, that's a fundamental. So with the Nightingale example, we have the social connection um, in two levels. One, um, with the, uh, the street and um, the community engaging in either a parklet scenario um, or the cafe, um, or the shared services downstairs, or on the rooftop, where community gardens, um, communal laundries, um, rooftop spaces that are fostering that sense of connectedness are really integrated into the design. It's better apartment design and, and better apartment living, um, and really successful. The database for, for Nightingale is, is over 5,000. Damien, just a bit off topic, but you're talking about letting kids out. In the old days, um, kids were let out to go out by themselves much younger. Now they're being let out for the first time at 12, 13. Previously, you know, when it was me, it was like six or seven. And you, you learn to navigate the world. And there's a lot of negative trends that this physical determinism you're talking about, good design helps, but social media is corrosive for the development of young people, particularly young girls. And there is a need among many people now for safety, uh, which overrides a lot of you know, that community uh, acceptance. Are you, are you getting this? I am getting it. I'm not sure where you're going, but I... Don't disagree as a parent. Well, the physical design can do so much, but there's a lot of other societal trends that are pushing negative consequences in how we relate to each other. Well, as, as parents and I suppose as planners, it's really up to us to set positive examples, be positive role models, not assume the worst. Um, there, as I mentioned, my own example at, at Heller Street is one alternative where if kids are provided the appropriate environment and support, you know, they can thrive. If as parents, though, we're worried about the consequences of them being out of reach and out of sight, um, then maybe that only perpetuates the fear and, and safety concern. Now, we're just about to wrap up soon, Damien. What would you say to yourself on your first day of work, now looking back to the young Damien? 
what would you say to him on his first day of work? Okay, I hope I would say something poetic, like your <laughs> currency on day one is your enthusiasm and passion, not your knowledge. And then really I'd encourage myself to take time to understand what planning is all about. Um, you really don't need to become skilled in a really diverse, uh, you do need to become skilled in a really diverse uh, range of disciplines. So look to understand the landscape. Don't assume that a dead rose in winter uh, should have you dismissing solar access as a relevant issue. Uh, appreciate architecture and good design, so you may have and hold an opinion. Uh, these vary, but you need to explain how you developed yours. Uh, know what the policy is trying to deliver. Where are we heading? How can we put each project into perspective? And also I'd encourage day one me to value relationships. They're critical, longevity and success in the planning space is important. And I'd finish by saying be good to people. Um, it certainly can make the difference. And what are you reading, watching, listening to that's, of, that's caught your attention? Okay, I'm, I've just got that, uh, I've just finished a book and I've had that experience where, you know, you, you have that downer after you've read a book mm. that's, that's really um, enjoyable. So my last read was Jane Harper's The Lost Man. Uh, for me, she's an author who writes on subjects that bring back memories of my own childhood. Uh, growing up on a sheep farm near Cavendish in the southwest of Victoria, uh, her stories and characters speak to the landscape and a setting that is much about Australia and our psyche. Uh, as far as music, um, I'm in the midst of a vinyl revival. Oh. I'm a sucker for coloured <laughs> records. Uh, and my recent purchases include the latest from Cash Savage and The Last Drinks and a newie from Cat Power. I'm actually going to see Cash Savage play at the Croxton uh, tomorrow night. So it's very Brunswick and it's very hipster, uh, but she's very good. Very good. What about you, Pete? What are you listening well, I, to? Well, I'm in love with Waze at the moment. It's ah. the new navigation system I use in my car. And it helps, me avoid, <laughs> it helps me avoid police. It helps me avoid – it tells me when the speed cameras. It tells me when I'm going to arrive at a destination so I don't speed. And it's a community of drivers. So if you see something – you identified on your screen. Have you got it, Damien? No. Well, you've got to get you've got to get to the twenty first century, mate. <laughs> so, so it, it tells you petrol prices. It tells you so many things. And what I love about it, Jess, is it's based on a community of drivers, so that other people are putting in inputs all the time, which help other people. So it's this community on the road that is going to do so much more for efficiency than driverless cars. What about you, Jess? What are you enjoying, or what's caught your interest lately? Um, I've been reading a lot of the uh, emails and articles from the Fifth Estate recently. Um, don't know if you guys are, have been reading that, but some really, really interesting articles coming out of that. Um, highly recommend people subscribe to that. It's a really great resource for planners and people in the built environment industry. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Damien, for a wonderful uh, interview. And it's been nice and cosy sitting next to you. So um, <laughs> we'll put some uh, information about Damien's projects up on our website. Mm -hmm.